Okay, let's pinky swear. Let's all just make a pact with one another that we understand that we're in mourning and be tolerant of our coworkers who are hurting today and uh, and just power through this as best we can. But let's also understand that it's okay to be angry. You know, that 100%. they 100%. That yeah. you know, I was on a text thread last night where it's like, well, everybody wanted to spin this positive. No, it's okay to be upset. Yeah. And uh, commiserate with your long-suffering Lions fans about this uh, blowing a lead that has never happened before, a 17-point no. lead going into the half. No one has lost uh, after that kind of a lead. And yet it is a season to be celebrated. Yeah, I mean. The, they're legit. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. They came to the national national stage. They got all the way to the NFC Championship game, a little ahead of schedule just in the third year mm-hmm. of Holmes and Campbell. And we get all that. It's tough to get the perspective now because it stings so much. Yeah, but it'll come. A tale of two halves. And, um, you know, everyone's just so emotional, and they're trying to get these players to give perspective. Jared Goff said, I'm I'm in the middle of my emotions right now. I can't explain it. It, What are my emotions? I don't know. It it sucks and um, pretty devastated. You know, there is a state of shock a little bit. And, um, yeah, I just, just, again, I'm proud to be a part of this team. And, it's it's hard to it's hard to be it's hard to juggle those two emotions of being proud of what we've done this year and um, dealing with the heartache of the loss. And it was very heartbreaking because I thought they were going to the Super Bowl and win it yeah. at halftime. I was so confident. Absolutely. All cylinders was. were yes. kicking on the were offense and defense, moving through San Francisco like butter. And you know everyone's gonna talk for years maybe about the Dan Campbell fourth down decisions, but there, there are, are numbers multiple things, right? Okay. You could talk about the numbers, but my point there was are, it was a, a lot of series event of events. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it wasn't just that it yeah. was Josh Reynolds, two drops, you know, it was the, the immaculate reception. Brandon. Ayuk. Yeah. Right. It was the fumble of Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. It was a non-conversion on a third down easy catch. It was multiple. It was the, uh, special teams when they could have pinned the Niners on like the one yard line, line and then they step on the line of, yeah. and it's yeah. a touchback. And, it and was so you, many you things. bat the ball, you don't try to hold it. I mean, there were little things like that. But fourth and two on the 49ers, 28, you've got a 90.5% rate of success if you go for it. A 90.3% success rate. So it's a toss-up for between field goal and going for it. Fourth and three from the 49ers, 30 Michael's an okay kicker. He's not great. Yeah. His success rate would have been 38.8%. Well, going for it is 39.1%. So by just a mere fracture, fraction of a percent, Dan Campbell was right. They just didn't execute. Well, and this comes from the Lions statistician. The Lions were three for three on fourth and threes this season. So 100% on that. On fourth and two, they converted 75% of the times they tried it. Yeah. So the percentages were on Dan Campbell's side, and he said post-game that he does not regret making those decisions. You know. But here's the, th- here's it's the thing. It's arguable. you gotta, you got to read the room, right? His offense was not, by that point, in sync. They were off. Jared Goff was off. You'd already had the drop by Josh Reynolds. Yeah. They mm-hmm. were a little bit in their heads. At that point, maybe you put it on uh, Michael's foot. Well, he went for the field goal in the first half. Yeah, yeah. he did. Because at first yeah, I thought he was, was going to go for it. Which, but yeah. which was smart. Yeah. Take the three possessions going into the half. Yeah, Exactly.
Um, so uh, do you yeah. want do you want to hear from Campbell? Yeah. How about how much how proud he is of the guy? I'm really I'm really proud of all all these guys. I am. I mean, and uh, it's hard when you lose that way. Um, it's hard. You know, you feel like you get your heart ripped out. So, um, but I'm proud of that group, and I'll go anywhere with that group. And uh, you wish you could keep it all together, but that's not the reality. So. Um, you know, we did some really good things, but today we, we didn't do enough, and uh, and it's tough. This is a young team, so they, they, yeah. you could look at the future being bright, but you're going to get your guys poached by other NFL teams, your offensive and defensive coordinator. And the other thing is, is Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow aren't getting any younger. Those guys have got some major mileage on them, and you're going to have to re- start to restore some pieces of this team. And can I just say, nobody's kind of talking about Cam Sutton. He was a yeah. step and a half behind mm-hmm. on so many plays yesterday. There are a lot of voids we need to fill. I, I think people talked about Cam Sutton a lot in this playoff run. He, it seemed like he got beat on a lot of things. They're going to have to uh, bolster that defense for sure. Yeah. And they have draft picks. This is why Brad Holmes didn't want to mortgage the farm to yeah. get someone at the deadline because they need to to reload here in the defensive end. I can sure. say, you know, when Barnes went down, I loved the way Rodrigo stepped in. You know, yeah. Played, There's another story. He, he, yeah. there was a great story. There was a guy but that was been waiting that. for his moment all season long. Mm-hmm. We always have that person that next up. Yeah, and he, he <laughs> we was always. he was there. Got a nice interception and uh, was in on a lot of plays. And uh, yeah, I, it's, it's it's upsetting. It's just upsetting. And yeah. we'll talk about it all morning long. We have tons of you know reaction from the guys in the locker room, what have you. But it's a young team. J-Mo had a great game, and that's great considering how um, critical people were of him in the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. He had a rushing touchdown. He had a a touchdown reception. Uh, That's good news. Jameer's good. Laporta's good. Yeah, There's a good foundation. There's so much to be excited about looking forward. Here's a here's a reality check for all of us. We got three families in this country whose soldiers are not going to be. That's life home. or death. Sports is not. We got we got thirty four of them that are injured, wounded. Eight of them had to be evacuated. Um, we've already had traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. This is the hundred and fifty ninth attack on our people, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm angry because the Biden administration has been more worried about proportionality and escalating the conflict than actually reacting to the conflict. And guess what, Mr. President? It escalated on you because you weren't forceful enough. We're going to be talking with Peter Meyer a little bit later on, the U.S. Senate candidate, uh, also Afghanistan vet, about that. But this, the casualties are the result of the president's choices and that he was more fearful of, so fearful of escalation, he's now caused the escalation. Um, we will have continuing uh, coverage and testimony in the Crumbly case. That's uh, right. Uh, during Jennifer Crumbly's ongoing criminal trial, prosecutors painting a picture of the mother who allegedly neglected her son's mental health struggles before the tragic act, uh, events at uh, Oxford High. Both Jennifer and her husband, James, faced four counts of involuntary manslaughter linked to that shooting back in 2021, marking the first instance of parents being charged for their child's mass shooting despite being on the witness list the oxford shooter will not testify at his mother's trial as his attorneys indicate he will plead the fifth 
he will plead the Fifth Amendment amid a legal wrangling over evidence, including text messages. Tensions flared in court over what will be admitted regarding the crumbly substance use. Meanwhile, scrutiny falls on Jennifer's actions leading up to the shooting, including her response to her son's alarming messages and her handling of the situation on the day of the incident. Now, with testimony revealing a complex web of communication and actions, the trial, which continues this morning, is expected to last for two to three weeks. With Jennifer slated to take the stand, the husband, James, will face a separate trial in March. I wanted to throw my laptop through a wall when I was I was down south visiting uh-huh. family. And, and to read that they had a gun safe mm-hmm. and yet had not programmed a password. That the password on the gun safe, this is after they, they assured us that the gun was safely secured. It's secured, yeah. The password on the gun safe was zero, zero, zero. That, if there's anything to me that is it is uh, condemning and a clincher, that's it. You 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 went to the trouble to get a gun case and, and then didn't even it. program it, yeah. uh, much less y- use it. Um, and, and you're right, the text messages were damning. Right, and when it, he's saying, I need help, can you come home? And she's worried about the horses. Check <laughs> check the horse's hocks, because, yeah. you know, I think they're you know, a little bit locked up. It was, yeah. We're and, on the run. We're, we're effed now. You're right. And then oh, her yeah, defense yeah, no. attorney says, oh, no, they were intending to turn themselves in. <laughs> oh, right. You know, so it's this. The testimony keeps getting more and more frustrating. For One that thing happened since Lloyd and I talked on Friday. Jim Harbaugh's gone. And oh, Sharon right. Moore. And Sharon Moore. In lightning quick fashion yes. installed as the new head coach. Quickly that happened. Yeah. yeah can I, are, are we a little bit frustrated that there wasn't a nationwide search for one of the most important positions in college football i don't know why they had to do it on friday before the lions playoff game when no one was around like why why did it seem rush right exactly he was endorsed by jim harbaugh the players loved him he already coached games and how many guys are going out the door with jim harbaugh we know uh what well, two? oh Maybe. minter possibly Minter's his own son, his son. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 probably others um, by the way, I've got a story a little bit later on that if you're looking for some place to place your frustration on this uh, Lions postgame Monday, I've got just the place oh, for you. Okay. Uh, this is a fired up story that uh, it, it should have everybody angry. We'll get to that. Give you a place to put your frustrations at 615 on JR Morning. Cranes Detroit Business when we come back at 619. So as we plow our way through this uh, disappointing Monday after the Lions' loss out in San Francisco, uh, let's check in with our uh, friends at Cranes Detroit Business, as we like to do on Mondays, as they've been documenting from a business standpoint what an incredibly good news story this has been for small many businesses, big and small. Mike Lee, Managing Editor of Cranes, good morning. Good morning, guys. He trotted out the country blues for the bumper music there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm still wearing my Honolulu blue, but I I don't know (laughs) if it's more about my soul or about my spirit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I think we've all got the the Lions blues today. That's the truth. But, uh, you know, if you take a a deep breath, stand back, look at the big picture. Uh, Obviously, this is an incredibly successful season for the Lions most successful that we've seen in ages. Um, and, and that's meant something for, for the business. Uh, the, the Lions are quite famously are, are raising season ticket prices next year pretty significantly. Um, this year they sold out. Next year they certainly will again. There's a 10,000-person waiting list for those tickets. 
Um, you know, we saw all kinds of spinoff benefits to downtown businesses, to playoff games. Um, and, you know, something to keep in mind, this is a very, very young team at a lot of the skill positions. And they, 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 the likelihood that we'll be back on this stage again seems pretty strong. There are all kinds of reasons to be optimistic. Mike, what's the what's the business story behind uh, putting the jerseys on the on the um, Spirit of Detroit statue? Downtown? This was a fun this was a fun story. Kirk Pinho dug into the uh, what, uh, how 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 you get the uh, how you get your team's jersey on the Spirit of Detroit, uh, the statue downtown, uh, famous statue made by Marshall Fredericks in the 1950s. Um, there are rules surrounding it. Uh, first of all, you know, in 2017, the city made some new rules that required a team to have won a championship to get a jersey on the statue. Well, that's sort of what got us onto this story. We're like, well, the Lions haven't won a championship yet. Um, but it turned out those rules were modified in 2020 to say a team just had to be in contention for a championship. Uh, they also have to pony up some money. Um, you have the, the, any, any team that wants to get a, get a, to, to, to dress up the statue has to put up $25,000 that goes into a fund for upkeep, upkeep of the statue. Um, so, so to, and, and they also have to put up a, an insurance bond, a $2 million insurance bond, uh, in case the statue is damaged. Um, one other sidelight, uh, Detroit company. Uh, we caught up with uh, actually makes those jerseys. Uh, it's an outfit called Prop Art Studio, um, which is on the east side of Detroit. It's been around for 30 years. It wasn't the big and uh, tall shop? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was not, in fact. It was not. Uh, those jerseys, they, they say they make they make them for, you know, they'll make you a jersey for about $3,000 if you have a, you know, a 25-foot person to dress. Um, and they're, they're, and they have since they have experience doing this, they, they, it doesn't the operation of putting the jersey on the statue is is only about a 20 minute operation for them. So it's uh, it's uh, it's just kind of an interesting sidelight on, on how those things get done. And, you know, we all we all see the jersey on the statue and innumerable photos. A friend of mine went downtown specifically yesterday to take his picture in front of it. So it's, it, it, it's just a, a interesting story. Uh, speaking of downtown, it's about luring people there post-pandemic, getting people to live downtown. Um, what's next when it comes to getting people to to come downtown? It, we checked into sort of the health of Michigan's downtown areas across the state, Grand Rapids, Pontiac, Detroit, um, post-COVID. Uh, you know, it's sort of the, the, the long-term view, of, you know, downtowns were on the rocks in the 90s and they became hip again and after the turn of the century and, 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 and many of them became quite quite healthy and lively uh covid turned that around foot traffic fell way off um hasn't really come all the way back in in many places because office workers aren't 100 percent in the office anymore um and, and other things so you know the, the downtowns are taking a few tacks they're trying to get creative a lot of it's about events and programming and, you know, it's kind of the smaller events that happen all the time rather than like the NFL draft or arts beats and eats that are, that are one-time splashes, you know, like a, a, you know, yoga in the park class that happens every week and draws, you know, 20 people. Um, Those those kind of ongoing events that that bring people downtown more frequently are are what downtowns are looking at. Um, uh, you know, going forward, I, I think uh, the, it's still the, the case that uh, a lot of downtowns, especially Detroit, uh, 
see adding new residents as their future to, to, to get that foot traffic back um, because they don't think office work will ever come all the way back. Um, there, was, there was an effort in Congress to create some sweeteners for, uh, for developers to convert office and other commercial space to residential that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, it was backed by Gary Peters and, and Debbie Stabenow. Um, but it hasn't it hasn't made its way into any of the uh, any of the legislation. So um, whether that will happen or not remains to be seen. But uh, the you know the the future of of downtowns is still very much in flux, and uh, uh, I think you, you're going to see a, a lot of changes in the years to come. I know that there is a lot of hand wringing, and understandably, over the idea of these weight loss drugs. So many people are requesting them, Mike. But they come with a lot of side effects, and there's no guarantee that this will be a long-lasting benefit. It could be very temporary, which begs the question whether the uh, expense is justified. Yes, we, we we checked in with doctors and insurers in Michigan on, you know, Ozempic, Wigovi, Monjaro, the, 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 the multiplying uh, weight loss drugs that are, have just become insanely popular. Uh, we talked to one uh, physician who's a University of Michigan professor doesn't actually do that much clinical work, maybe 10 hours, 10 hours treating patients a week, but gets 50 messages a week seeking, you know, seeking Ozempic or other weight loss drugs. Mm. These are expensive. Uh, you know, they run $1,500 a month uh, in, in that ballpark. Um, and uh, they're also used by diabetics. So there's there's demand on a limited supply uh, that that is this causing uh, you know doctors to have to make tough choices. Um, you know they, they obviously seem to work as advertised. Although uh, you also you also see that if people come off them, then they just gain the weight back. So do you want to take this 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 injection for the rest of your life? They do have a lot of side effects. So. Uh, you know, we've seen we've seen previous uh, drugs that 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 were you know near the top of the charts in popularity, and uh, came wound up coming with side effects that, that got them taken off the market. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but uh, there's just something about this this situation that just feels like you know what what's the other shoe that's going to drop? Yeah. Well, we know that you're going to stay on top of it. It's an interesting discussion, especially as we look at, at the, the cost of insurance continuing to go up for both employers and employees. Mike, have a great week. We'll all heal our wounds together, okay? Thanks, Guy. All right. Take care. Mike Lee Crane's Detroit Business. When we come back, U.S. Senate candidate Peter Meyer on the loss of life in the Middle East. We do feel your pain on this uh, January 29th. By the way, this is the first day you could put your taxes in. That'll make you feel also better painful. after. Yes, that'll make you feel better after the Lions' loss. Uh, but we're here to commiserate with you, get your day started, hopefully off on the right foot, in spite of the disappointment and the, the mourning over the end, the premature end to what was still a great season. And as we said, the great reality check here is that there are three American families who had the worst news of all uh, over the weekend. That in a, a uh, a drone strike in Jordan that was backed by Iran. Uh, three American service people lost their lives. 34 were wounded. Eight had to be evacuated. And this is the 159th attack on our troops in the Middle East thus far. President Biden has been very obsessed about being proportional and has been worried about escalation. And yet what has happened the very escalation that he is concerned about has landed on his doorstep. He is promising to decisive action 
We'll see what that brings. But what should it be, given the fact that up until now, whatever he has done has so far been ineffective? Peter Meyer is a former U.S. congressman in Michigan's 3rd District, an Afghan vet, now candidate for the U.S. Senate for the Republican Party. Peter Meyer, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Give us a sense of, I mean, we knew that this was inevitable, that at some point Americans were going to lose their lives because we continue to permit these strikes. What should the next step be? Yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, these over 150 strikes have occurred. Um, Our response has been quite minimal. I mean, these strikes have been one-way kamikaze drones. They've been artillery, um, rockets. Nothing we're not used to in that area, but obviously the scale of this has continued to increase, and our response has been, you know, an occasional strike on a storage facility or some mid-level leadership, right? Nothing to significantly deter, just enough to say, hey, we're going to do something, but it's obviously something that um, the Iranian-backed militants who attacked American forces are able to easily withstand and I'm a big believer in the Chicago way, at least when it comes to response. You know, they pull a knife, you pull a gun, they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue. And I think that's how you actually deter. Isn't this uh, minuscule excuse making? It is, you know, actually going after the threat. Now, what that should be, um, there are there's an Iranian surveillance ship that's been monitoring the Houthis and providing support in the Red Sea. Uh, I mean, we have ways of of deterring without escalating into a full-on conflict. Uh, but what's very clear is that if we just continue to go after the middlemen, we just continue to go after some of these proxies uh, who are in Syria, who are in Iraq, uh, all that does is it's strained Iraqi-U.S. Uh, relations with the government in Baghdad. Uh, and obviously it has done absolutely nothing uh, to stop things. So I we need to see something significant uh, that could that doesn't necessarily need to be airstrikes. I mean, we have other tools at our disposal, uh, but if I were to guess, I would assume uh, there would, you would just see a similar type of response we've seen in the past, but maybe on a slightly larger scale. Uh, and I fear that it's going to do nothing to get us out of the spiral of just continuing threats on American service members' lives. Um, and and Peter, the war between Israel and and Hamas. Uh, the president didn't want it to escalate. He said, I didn't want to escalate, so I didn't want to, you know, do too much. But now it has. So how much of this is on his hands, the blood on his hands? Well, I, I think I think the, the folks who are attacking us are using uh, the war in Gaza as an excuse. Uh, I mean, these are groups that have attacked us in the past. They were attacking us when, when I was in Iraq almost, uh, you know, 14 years ago. Uh, and they've been attacking us pretty consistently uh, especially after the conclusion of a lot of the conflict against ISIS, when those Iranian-backed militants in the U.S. were on the same side, you know, and then obviously it's shifted more into that political struggle. I mean, uh, but when it comes to the blame that I put on Biden's feet, I mean, he is the commander in chief. The buck stops with him, mm-hmm. and if he has clearly signaled at every stage that the U.S. does not want this to escalate. And there's there's a way you can signal that that says we mean business. Mm-hmm. And there's a way you can signal that that says, hey, guys, come and take a shot. You know, we will we want to get out of this. We want to avoid something. You know, we're coming from that ultimate position of uh, of having a, uh, folks be able to call our bluff. Right? I mean, this is why you need 
if, if your enemy thinks and knows that you will only respond in a rational, logical, smart way, uh, then they know that if they can poke you, but you can only punch back, that a poke will never get a punch, and so you're going to get poked to death. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're seeing here is that our enemies are able to exploit their asymmetric advantage on tactics. They're able to exploit the fact that they blend in and we don't. Uh, and they were able to exploit the fact that, hey, if they at least keep it under a low ebb, they can pen in U.S. forces, prevent us from doing our job in the Middle East of countering a lot of the extremist groups um, without, frankly, without much uh, you know, damage to their own forces. And that that is what has to stop. Right. And Peter, the blood really is on Iran's hands. So do you go after the extremist groups or Iran directly? And, and that's that is the thorniest question. I mean, do you do you directly launch attacks on Iranian soil? The U.S. has been extremely hesitant to do that. Even Donald Trump, the if you recall the strike on Qasem Soleimani, the uh, uh, leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, I mean, that was an aggressive move but they didn't strike him in Iran. They waited until he was cocky enough uh, to fly and make a big show of it through Baghdad. Uh, and that's when a Hellfire missile hit him. So I think it is, that is going to be the ultimate question for this administration. I, I think when it comes to an escalation that could spiral out of control versus the type of escalation that says, knock this off, we are not afraid to do things you don't think we will do. That's a question I don't know we have the answer to right now. Uh, Peter, uh, what you hope will be your future colleagues say they've got a tough border bill to confront the other vulnerability this nation has on its southern border. Uh, They claim it will be the toughest border bill yet. And yet House Republicans are already calling it DOA, even though we have nothing in text yet. Uh, It is there is short on details. We also know that the the former president uh, says that a bad bill is is uh, not better than no bill at all, that no bill would be better. Um, are we allowing political concerns to erode what could be at least incremental progress? I mean, you could say that there's incremental progress. As you pointed out, we haven't seen a text. I have, none of us have any idea what's in this thing, which frankly leads me to believe that the amount of rumors about what's in here it could be true, that could not be true, uh, but they haven't been backed up by any actual truthful statements from supporters except for, hey, you know, trust us, this thing's great. And, and while there's a lot of room for just reforming the asylum process and, um, and those, those areas are important, you know, the fundamental core reality of the problem we're facing on the border is this has to do with rhetoric from the Biden administration and the failure to uphold existing statutes in the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. That's the key thing. We don't need more legislation. The laws are all there. And there is an incredible amount of power vested in the executive branch to do more, including remain in Mexico. Precisely. And this is this is my fundamental problem is Biden creates a problem and then says, hey, if we're going to solve this, you guys need to give me something for it. I mean, it's a form of hostage taking. I'm I'm usually very open minded when it comes to, hey, let's try to work together, find this issue. The reality is so much of the solution exists within the pen of the president as it stands. And the idea that there should be concessions for him to do his job and uphold the law to me is, is offensive. Peter Meyer, we always appreciate you. Uh, coming in and, and sharing your insights with us. We know that your heart breaks for your military brothers and sisters that uh, suffered 
three catastrophic losses uh, over the weekend. Thank you. No, worst loss of life since August 2021 at Abbey Gate in Kabul. Uh, it's a tragedy. It, it, Thank you it, all. It is indeed, and we'll hope for that decisive action that the president keeps promising. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Time for Eye on Engineering, brought to you by Tajan Automotive Technologies, the formula for better mobility. It's Tajan. A tire that can detect low air pressure and even detached wheels without sensors? That's the sensing core system that Sumitomo Rubber was showing off at the Consumer Electronics Show. David Johansson, Sumitomo's Vice President of Technology, said the system uses the company's knowledge of tire dynamics and takes advantage of electronic control units and controller area networks on the vehicle to crunch data. Conditions are sampled every 20 milliseconds, and the system can distinguish between tire wear and poor road conditions. Johansson said fleet managers would appreciate the system's ability to sense maintenance needs before that need becomes a roadside tow truck event. And though it's not a problem here, in countries that drive on the left, the system could help detect impending wheel detachment, a problem created by the crown of the road and braking forces. For SAE International, I'm Chris Klotz, and that's an eye on engineering. Fountain Blue Las Vegas is the newest luxury resort and casino on the Las Vegas Strip, and we want to send you there for the big game weekend. You score a trip for two to Las Vegas, including airfare, a two-night stay at Fountain Blue Las Vegas, a $150 credit to spend at one of its 36 restaurants and bars, and two tickets to Fountain Blue Las Vegas' big game viewing party at Blue Live Theater. To enter, text this hour's national keyword Vegas, V-E-G-A-S, to 95819. That's Vegas to 95819. All right, let's discuss the Lions. What went right? What went wrong? Obviously, we know it's basically a tale of two halves. Stan Campbell going for it on fourth down twice, not making it. Uh, your thoughts may differ from others. We're going to discuss it now from now until eternity. Let's bring in Lomas Brown, color analyst for the Detroit Lions. And it may Lions. take eternity for us to get back to the Super Bowl. I know. I know. Lomas, welcome to the show. Oh yeah, thanks guys. It's, it's, it was rough. It was a rough one tonight. Uh, Lomas, the thing that concerns me is when you guys kind of got bounced at this exact same moment. We're like, well, they'll be back, or the Lions will be back, and then they weren't for three decades. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, I'm telling you, I, I was telling somebody on the plane ride home, if you would have told me in '92. <laughs> That was going to be my last time as a Detroit Lion getting back uh, to the championship game yeah. or this organization. It would take them 30-some-odd years to get back. I, I, I would have called you a liar. I really would have because I, would have, I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to believe that. And, man, I'm telling you, this one hurts so bad because of the way these guys played in the first half mm -hmm. of that game. We should have been able to put our foot on their necks and win that game. And and Lomas, you know, for the fans, of course, uh, a lot of the fans are, are you know, disappointed this morning in, in the city and across the country who were really rooting for us. But the players are not happy as well. Without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. Lord, when you pour, pour your blood, sweat, and tears, and think about it, they started in March, and you go that long, 
and the commitment you make, and like I say, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and the effort that you give to put yourself in a position like that, one game away from the Super Bowl. So I'm sorry, not one game. It was, if you think about it, a it was a half. They uh, yes. were a half away from the Super Bowl. And to lose the game like that and to lose it in the way we lost it, yeah, you got to be pissed. You got to be mad about that. And I don't blame those guys. Yeah, let's let's focus on on one really bright spot. In the first half, J-Mo gets the ball on on an end around. Talk to me about that run because I was I was trapped in a vehicle uh, coming home from the airport. <laughs> I got to listen to your call. There's no place else I would have rather been for that play. Yeah, that was great. It was a great play design because they sent the action to the front side. Had J-Mo come around on the reverse, just kind of handed it to him. And you know what that speed, what yes. we've been waiting for in the metro area. We've been waiting to see him get in the open and use that speed. And my goodness, man, I'm going to tell you, it should be no more criticism of J-Mo. No. He played. Yep. He played. That's he one of the brightest spots of this season, Lomas, Absolutely. is his development and maturity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. He's the guy that can take those tough hits. He's the guy that go across the middle, make those tough catches. He gets up. His enthusiasm when they somebody tackles him, his enthusiasm when he gets up. Man, I love his attitude. I'm telling you. They got a good one with J-Mo, and, man, I'm telling you, if the rest of the guys, you know, these younger guys could just kind of follow him, just kind of follow that energy that he brings each and every play that he's out there, man, again, we'll, we should be able to put ourselves back in this position again. Lomas, what do you say happened in that second half? Was it the fourth down decisions that weren't converted? Was What was it? Because they look like a different team. So, Jamie, you remember we talked before this game, and I said, when you get in the NFC Championship game, every play counts. Remember, we talked yeah. about mm -hmm. that. We talk, Every play. And if you look at it, it was a handful of plays that killed us. You could talk about the, some of the calls that Dan made. You could talk about the fumble. You could even talk about, let's go back to that hell of a punt that Jack Fox Kid. Yes, and we let it go in the end, end zone, zone man. Yeah. We should we should have had them pent inside the five yard line, mm -hmm. and that would have made a total difference on how that offense, San Francisco offense, would have came out. So it was just little things, like I say, it was just plays at the drops by Josh Rim. It was just one. It was play here, a play there, but them plays here, those plays there, they add up, and that's what happens. Lomas, what about the timeout at the end of the game? The uh, line's down oh, 10. Oh uh, they call a run play and had to burn one of their three timeouts they had left. They could use that when they uh, were down three, right? They could have avoided the onside, right? Yeah. You can't do that. You just can't do that. That ball got to go in the air. That ball has to go in the air. And I know Dan has a lot of trust in our offensive line and I, and David Montgomery in the backs. And, and believe me, our old line played their butts off, too. They played very well today. But you got to go in the air to me with that play call just in case you get stopped and you won't have to use that timeout. Those three timeouts could have changed all our, our approach. 
where we probably wouldn't have had to try to onside kick it, which you know how the rules are set up now. An onside kick is basically a wasted play because you're not going to recover it. I mean, you know, just like I say, with how the rules are set up, it's so hard to get onside kicks. So, yeah, again, one of those plays that I say that a comeback and can come back to haunt you. And, you know, Purdy, uh, he ran as he was using those legs, man. He, he he got some made some big gains. He did. I did not know he was that fast or athletic. I really did. He shocked me. And I said it on the radio broadcast. I did not know that young man could move the way he moved. And he, he did all right. He was shaky early. He was shaky in that game early. We were putting pressure on him. We were getting him off his spot, everything we needed to do. But, again, like you say, I think him using his legs, I think that kind of really settled him down a little bit. He started throwing the ball very well. Mm-hmm. They got Christian McCaffrey involved in the yep. game, and then they just started using their weapons, Debo. Just start using the guys that they have. And it just became too much. Of the the real Niners ball. showed up. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It's disappointing, but the future is bright. Lomas, we appreciate you and your uh, perspective on everything. Thank you. Absolutely. Y'all take care. Uh, coming up, we're still going to talk about it and commiserate next on JR Morning. Be gentle one another, uh, with one another as we begin <laughs> this uh, January 29th, 2024. Uh it is just one of those days where, you know, if, and if one more person says to me, well, we really can't complain because dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we can. Yeah. They blew a 17-point lead. and Which has never been done. No. Conference no. play. First. And, and Dan Campbell says. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and, and not letting them play long ball. Um, you know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. Um, and I wanted to get the upper hand back, um, you know, and it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know, um, I get that, but I don't regret those decisions, and that's hard, you know, it's hard, because, you know, they didn't, we didn't come through, it wasn't able to, to work out, but I just, I don't, I don't, and I understand the scrutiny I'll get, that's part of the gig, man, um, but... You know, we just just didn't work out. Uh-huh. I understand what he's saying. Well, he's talking about those two fourth downs. The fourth because, down calls. Yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of questions about that. But I think to Nick's point, when we were talking in Lomas, it's it's the uh, it's the run call in the in the, in the situation where if you can save a timeout, now you don't have to kick an onside kick. And I think that may be the more regrettable decision. I don't know. I don't know about that. We get we we get to that regret after a lot of other regrets. That's right. Josh Josh Reynolds dropping two. Right. Saint Brown uh, missing on one. The first time he went for it on fourth down. Okay, you're still up twenty four ten. You don't really need the field goal there, and you've gone for a field goal already. Yeah. So you know Badgley is is with it and ready to go, ready to kick outside. It was the second time that they didn't go for it, but according to the Lions statistician, maybe this went into it. They were three for three on fourth and three this season. On fourth and twos, they converted 75% of the tries. So they were used to converting these things. And as Dan said, he was trying to catch them, trying to run some more clock Mm -hmm. out. And Mm -hmm. it didn't work out. And that happens in sports. But that wasn't against the Niners defense. And that wasn't in the moment where your offense had begun struggling. So, you know, you got to kind of also read the moment, too.
Yes. I, you know, it's, it's really upsetting. I think Mo- David Montgomery says it best just in a quick little soundbite. He says, this is, this has been the best year. This is the uh, best locker room I've ever been a part of. And it sucks that it won't be the same. Um, but, uh, yeah, best group I've been a part of. Best group. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, you, you're watching, and I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I'm on a, like four text threads with different friends and family and things like that. And the family text thread was hysterical because my wife is watching it with her 90-year-old mother who kept falling asleep. And every time she fell asleep, the Lions scored. Oh. So <laughs> second, sleep, Grandma. Second, right. second half comes along, and things bad things start happening. And someone asked, did, did Grandma wake did up? And Gail said, yep. Oh, and, this, no. and then there was some talk of NyQuil. <laughs> oh, Grandma. Does she, oh, does she, wow. does she, does she need, she's a middle But did you see bit. all the blue, though, in the stands? Yeah. I mean, I knew it the was, fans would travel. I mean, good Lord. It was a lot of blue out there. But after that fumble recovery, holy man, that stadium lit up, and the Niners faithful were on. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. then they tied the game, then they, you know, went yeah. on to win. I we there were so many stories of people who cried who who were on this bandwagon who weren't before. I did this little story of a little nine year old in Flat Rock who loves Aiden Hutchinson. There's a lot of good that happened these past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. It was fun. And you know, hopefully they'll be back and it won't take oh, three decades. We've got members of our family that have you know have never really plunked into the Lions or all that stuff. And Me they too. were so deep into it. That's that's wonderful for everybody. That's something we all shared as a family. Exactly. Yeah. Great, great fun, and it'll be a great memory for, for years to come. Now comes the reality check, which is can you come back after you're likely gonna lose at least one of your major coordinators? Mm-hmm. Um, There's like 15 free agents. Right. And uh, they're going to have their hands full signing those people. We've got some things. we got to, you know, we got to find someone to help Cam Sutton back there. Yeah. And you need to extend Jared Goff. He's well, due for a massive payday. That we talked, I, I He's asked the Amy guy. About that. They're going to pay him. Is, is he the guy? He's the guy. You know, when, when you watch Brock Purdy respond and adjust and use his feet yesterday, do we need that dimension in our quarterback going No. Forward? Why is everyone so down on Jared Goff? I'm he not down on him. I'm asking the question. He was like fifth in passing this year. He got the job done more so than anybody yeah. Yeah. in the past three decades. Okay. And all quarterbacks don't run. Right. Right. And but Well, look at the one. Uh, look at Lamar. Yeah. He, he, he can run. He can run, but but he can't be a pocket passer. Didn't work. Didn't work <laughs> yesterday. So yeah. I, I said last hour, if, if you're looking for a place to put your frustrations, and we have a lot of them this morning, why not focus them on the Michigan legislature? And here's why. Okay. Two billion in pet project grants over the past two years that they approved with nobody signing the original appropriation request. Imagine that. Two billion dollars. We got our. We started hand wringing our hands back in 2018 when, at the end of the Snyder administration, they did a hundred million in one night. Mm-hmm. This was two billion over two years with nobody signing the chit, basically, or owning up to who requested it. The deadline for disclosure under the new Democrat transparency laws was last Friday. Came These and went. Came and went. This is. They promised us all this new transparency. You haven't. Complied. You know when the next je- deadline is for them to uh, to to open up? September thirtieth of twenty twenty four. So they get to stonewall Michigan citizens for basically a full year mm-hmm. before owning up to 
who did what, who requested what, people should be outraged. And and so if you're looking for a place to maybe throw a little frustration, call your state rep and say, hey, right now, comply with the disclosure laws. Mike Wilkinson with a great piece in Bridge, Michigan about where we are with that. Time for WJR's Business Beat, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, and Jamie. Starting a business can be daunting, lonely, and no doubt challenging. Well, we're lucky to have establishments to help entrepreneurs make their dreams come true here in the Detroit region. One such standout organization, of course, it's TechTown, based right here in Detroit. And now, TechTown has been recognized by the state of Michigan as an entrepreneurial hub, and that means they'll be receiving millions of dollars in federal grant funding. TechTown and the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation, the DEGC, were among 27 establishments across the state and the only two directly in the city of Detroit to receive the designation in November from the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Now, the grants TechTown and DEGC and the 25 other awardees will be receiving average $2.7 million each, but these two Detroit organizations will be receiving $3.4 million each, and the hubs will offer resources such as one-on-one coaching, cohort-based learning, and accelerators, mentor matchmaking, pitch competitions, networking events, access to capital, and other services critically needed by those aspiring to start a business and those that already own one. Where are the funds to support this program coming from? Well, the MEDC Small Business Support Hubs Program, which is funded by a one-time appropriation using American Rescue Plan Act dollars to create and operate programs to support small businesses impacted by COVID-19. Now, that American Rescue Plan Act is a federal program, so ultimately the funds are coming from the feds, not directly from the state. So federal funds flowing into our region guide to support startups, that's a good thing. We're fortunate to have the capital, and we're fortunate to have organizations like TechTown and DEGC to deploy it in the way that no doubt will make a difference. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Later today... It's day three of the gripping trial of Jennifer Crumbly. It continues in Oakland County Circuit Court as the proceedings unfolded. Some shocking revelations emerged, painting a picture of her actions in the aftermath of the shooting. And on the JR Morning Live line is Teresa Baldis. She's a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. She's been closely following the trial's development. Teresa, thank you so much for being here on JR Morning. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Shed some light on on the latest testimony regarding uh, Jennifer Crumbly's involvement, particularly her behavior in the days following the shooting. So in the days, as, you, as we can all remember, uh, there, there was a fugitive task force out looking for them. They uh, and, and it was uh, presumed or alleged that they, they were on the run. And the couple has long maintained that, no, we were not on the run. We were scared. We stayed in a hotel. Then we hid out one night in our friend's uh, warehouse. And, and so what emerged on, uh, in, in court last week, which startled everybody, were these text messages that she had on her burner phone um, that she had deleted. And on those text messages, she was texting her boss, literally the words, uh, you know, we are on the run, helicopters hurling, I'll keep up with you. And then, you know, uh, that same night she texts, 
where F blank, 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 blank. And then uh, 24 hours later, uh, they were arrested at that, uh, uh, at the warehouse in Detroit. So it, it shows um, that they, you know, the text messages, I mean, they speak for themselves. So I'm not going to say what they show, but, you know, essentially you have it in her, you know, her words, uh, you know, were on the run. And the reason for your listeners why that matters to the prosecution, the prosecution has maintained that the reason they fled and were on the run is because they knew that they were uh, allegedly responsible for what happened and they and, and then they left. Who do you think might come up next on the stand for, for the prosecution? Well, you know, that we don't know. And, and this is what's been unlike other trials. Usually we know uh, ahead of time, not always, but the day before they'll announce it in court. But uh, th- this has been a, a diff- you know, a d- different. They, they don't uh, they don't tell us, um, uh, we, you know, their witness list is huge. Um, but, you know, they, they we, we don't know. But right now it appears what they're doing. So the first day they spent building the case of how the shooter got the gun. And, and the, you know, they showed the family at the shooting range together, the dad buying him the gun. And so it all focused on the purchase of the gun. And then the next day they got into, second day of trial, they get into the text messages where the shooter is texting his friend and his mom that he's seeing things and they're trying to establish. Now they're showing how they allegedly knew that he was depressed and spiraling and so forth. So they're sort of building this case. One of the things that in the aftermath, we were assured by the family's defense attorneys that they had secured the weapon, that they had acted responsibly, uh, that it wasn't just left out on a nightside table. And yet we heard some damning testimony. It was so infuriating that they had a gun safe but never programmed it, Teresa? Um, actually, you know, what, what's coming out, I, I don't think the public is quite yet in tune with where the gun was. No one knows where that gun was. And the safe that had the combination on it, um, uh, whether it was, pro, you know, programmed or, or not, um, yes, it, it, had, it had the person who's testified so far has no idea what the, the safe was actually perhaps programmed to or not. All this person that has testified so far is what they found on the scene when they got there. They don't know where the gun case was that the gun was in um, or where the weapon was. None of that has come in. All we, that's come into testimony so far is that, hey, this safe was set to zero, zero, zero. Right. And perhaps, perhaps it was the entire time. But let me remind all your listeners right now, there is no safe storage law in Michigan or the federal government. It, 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 they, they, and this wasn't the case. They didn't have the gun just laying out anywhere. But even if they did in Michigan, you can have your gun laying on the kitchen counter, on the living room table, on the, and there's no law that says that's illegal. But if you have so a whatever, depressed teen in the house, there is a reasonable expectation, I think, amongst most parents, and the jury has a well, lot of parents on it. Is, yeah, a- a- right? A- that that a- you would secure that weapon from that child, especially just, just out of concern for self harm. Absolutely, that that is. But I'm I'm just reminding people what the law is, what the law says. And yes, I mean to all those parents on there. I mean, in the end, the law may mean nothing. They may look at all this and say, you know, you had a uh, a child who was who was depressed. You you know you you gave him access to a gun. You had a paper that you looked at that was alarming, and you left him in school, and you didn't bring him home. I mean, I think those. I still think this is going to come down to a parenting 
you know, decision where, you know, that they, they were irresponsible parents. Were they negligent, grossly negligent? You know, you've got a lot of parents on that jury, and a lot of this stuff I, I think is, is going to resonate pretty strongly with them, as you suggest. But, again, I know I, I'm just I'm, I'm speaking off the cuff here. So the shooter will not be on the stand, will not take the stand in this trial? No, 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 he won't. And also, here's something else to note. This, it, it'll come out, but we reported on this before. The, the weapon at issue wasn't just out. It wasn't, uh, say, in his room. It wasn't um, where they're maintaining it was secured. You're, we're going to hear testimony that it was secure. The bottom line is, though, that this kid had access to it, was able to get it, and did what he did. And, and you know, you've got a lot of gun owners uh, on this jury. Twelve of the 17 grew up with guns. Seven of them have guns. So, they're, you know, and I listened to them during uh, voir dire. You know, they talked about, oh, no, 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 lock it up, secure. Kids can't get to these no matter what. You know, and, and so, the, you know, the prosecution is building a case here. Uh Jennifer Crumbly is expected to testify, which is a sticky situation possibly for her. Yes, yes, she she is going to take the stand, and uh, boy, that's that's going to be a wild one because she's she's you know broken down both days in court already. I, I don't know how she's going to be on the stand, but you know, in in some way, perhaps I I suspect she thinks I'm the only one who can speak for myself. You know, a, a lot of defense lawyers are very skeptical of putting a client on the stand, particularly in a situation like this. But she wants to, so she's going to, and we'll be there. The prosecution's been somewhat upset at defense and at Jennifer Crumbly for showing so much emotion in the courtroom. They feel that it may be prejudicial, but can you really blame them when they look at these videos uh, what human would not be devastated by seeing what they saw and and right. to, to what degree can they restrict that right well you know and that that was probably one of the more dramatic moments in the courtroom when when the the defense and the prosecutor went at it i mean boy they are they are sparks are flying in there between those two sides the judge said before this all started listen everybody please um, if you're going to get emotional, she didn't instruct anyone not to show emotion, but she said, if you're going to feel overwhelmed, please step outside so it doesn't disrupt the proceedings. Mm-hmm. And and the prosecution felt that she was speaking to them. So afterwards, when, you know, uh, Karen McDonald stood up and said, you know, Your Honor, I don't think it's fair that you tell us not to show emotion, that you have the, the defendant and her and her lawyer over here sobbing and, oh, boy, you know, sparks flew. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you I mean, it's. It's a human emotion, and and the judge has been fantastic at at maintaining calm, directing uh, all parties to sort of you know, hey, cool down, stay level headed, and she's been very even handed. Teresa Ball, this is the reporter for the Detroit Free Press, watching the Jennifer Crumbly trial. Teresa, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Take care. And coming up, Bill Keenis, former vice president of public relations for the Detroit Lions for 32 years. He's going to join us and we'll talk more about. He's seen it all. He has seen it all. (laughs) And he, I'm sure he saw a lot yesterday, too. (laughs) That he hadn't seen before. (laughs) Of course. We'll be talking to uh, Bill. And also uh, later on, we'll be speaking with Nolan Finley, editorial page editor for the Detroit News, our special Monday segment with him. But coming up, Bill Keenis, the 735 on JR Morning. I told those guys, this may have been all a shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. 
I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was. That's Dan Campbell talking about possibly returning to the NFC championship game, telling his guys, like, it's going to be really hard. We hope to get back here. But you never know, because the last time the Lions were there, it was three decades ago. Let's bring in Bill Keenis, former vice president of public relations for the Detroit Lions for 32 years. For his perspective, Bill, what are your thoughts? Wow, Jamie, it's uh, it's hard to encapsulate everything um, that happened yesterday. And as I was thinking this morning, I thought, you know, our whole city, our whole state and a lot of the country was just a wash in Honolulu blue for the last month or so. And, uh, and then I thought, well, there's different shades of blue. And, uh, and I actually looked up what a feeling blue meant. And in the uh, dictionary was sadness, melancholy, and emotional distress. <laughs> and I think that certainly sums up the blue that we're feeling this morning. Uh, Bill, you were on the post-game show last night, so you had your initial yeah. thoughts out there on WJR. Now that it's the morning, have mm-hmm. things changed for you? Um, I think it, it might take a little while for all of us just to uh, to get over the shock of the game. Um, and, you know, the fact that you're right on the doorstep for the, for the Super Bowl. Um, I do believe what Dan said the the cut that you just played is you know god bless him for saying it i didn't necessarily think he would would say that after the game but he's right it's hard to get back it's hard to get there in the first place but the team's going to be different next year i mean roster turnover is usually 20 to 30 percent uh it appears the line's going to lose a couple key coaches at least one in ben johnson and the schedule's, you know, as we we sit here today, the schedule's going to be significantly tougher next year. And and no one, uh, the Lions aren't going to sneak up on anyone. Not that they did this year, but the whole country, the whole football world knows about this team. So, yeah, it is going to be hard. And one thing I said on the show last night was Dan Campbell's most important and best coaching needs to come between now and the start of next season because uh, – it's going to take a lot to get over this. Um, on one hand, you got a young team, and that can be good uh, in the sense that, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And, uh, you know, the, the youth of the team, even from a contractual standpoint, helps out because you're going to be able to retain more of your roster with so many uh, young players on rookie contracts. So um, I think it'll take a while for all of us. Um, but you know, the other thing that I hope we all realize, <clears throat> and when we saw the shots of Ford field, when the country did mm-hmm. on the uh, broadcast, I mean, this team created, uh, or, you know, just personified Detroit and the community and the fandom and the spirit and the passion. I don't ever remember an NFL game having a, um, a situation like like we saw last night at Ford Field, a watch party to that extent. I don't know that it's ever happened. I know years ago it was forbidden because of how it might impact TV ratings, but I think they obviously have a system to figure that out, compensate for that now. But um, 
I just hope all the fans, the city, everybody, when the hurt wears off, and it does hurt, uh, can just sit back and realize how far this team has come and all the demons that were eliminated um, over this past year and uh, and move forward as best we can. Because, I mean, Bill, it's okay to separate your feeling of being upset that they blew a 17-point lead. Yeah. Uh, and separate that from what the team has done for the city and for the people. No question, Lloyd, and that's a great point, and I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, fans are passionate. This whole city's been passionate about the Lions, so the reason why it hurts so much is because we all care so much, and, you know, they created a love amongst the fans and and uh, for this team, and uh, – it's okay to be angry, and when you're that close to something and you care that much, and when it doesn't go your way, anger is logical. And the way the game played out, um, unfortunately, um, added to that frustration and anger. But, you know, objectively, um, what this team did this year was historic. I yeah. mean, it was mm-hmm. profoundly historic, and there's so much good to take from it. And I think, again, what the country saw, you know, going back really in a way, I think I said this last night, in many ways the season started last year with that Green Bay game, the the final game of the regular season, when the Lions went up to Green Bay and kept Aaron Rodgers and the Packers out of the playoffs. The country noticed then, and it continued to take notice throughout the year. And, um, you know, throughout the season on our Gridiron Rap show, you know, we would joke about, you know, America's team resides in Michigan, not Texas. Yeah. And I don't think there's any question about that. And why is that? It it starts with Dan. And it's it really, you know, is the city and the people and the blue collar and the passion and the community. Detroit's different. There are a few towns, you know, in America where sports are so important. Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Buffalo, Chicago, you know, the Rust Belt, the Great Lakes region. It really is different here, and it that's why it hurts so bad right now. But it's also why there's nothing like Detroit when it comes to a sports yeah. town and the fans. They'll remember this season the rest of their lives, as we all will. As we look ahead, and I mean, it's it's and it's also okay to be really excited for the next season. But what's yeah. what what tops your wish list, your to do list? I'm looking at saying, listen, we got to find a solution to Cam Sutton, and we also have yeah. to figure out. I mean, Brock Purdy ran with abandon yesterday. Yeah, that has wow. to stop. Yeah, I mean, you're right, and mobile quarterbacks have hurt the team. And so you have to find that answer on defense, most logically the linebacker safety position. And uh, I I could see both of those being a focal point of the draft. Um, But you're right, uh, Guy, that's a great point. He, I mean, that, that kid, I mean, a child shall lead us. And he did. Uh, He led the 49ers. I mean, some of those plays, third down, critical runs for first downs. Um, and, uh, and that's happened more than, more than it, it can happen. And, uh, certainly you're right. I think that'll be a big focal point on the, uh, on the draft and also on free agency. The lines are well situated with uh, the salary cap and, and for free agency. So you can get, will, will they be after there. they, they sign Jared? Well, 
I got to believe they will because they have so much money right now under the cap for next year. Um, so it, but it's, it's the cost of success as well. Yeah. The, the more great players you have, the more it's going to cost you. And that's the ultimate balancing act. And that's why, you know, having a good portion of your key contributors on rookie contracts is critical. And uh, there's ways to get around it. There's ways to do it. The cap has gone up every year. And I would expect it to go up this year significantly compared to previous years because the uh, the TV ratings have been astronomical. And with all the media platforms that the league benefits from and the game benefits from, I, I, I do I, – I know that the Lions are in a far better position cap-wise than a lot of teams in the league. And Brad Holmes has been masterful in getting rookie yeah. contributors. Yeah. And so we'll see what he could do with this year's yeah. draft. And Adam Schefter yeah. tweeted, arrow up, because the Lions went there from 3-13-1 yeah. to 9-8 and eight right. to 12-5. and five. And let's see what yeah. they can do next season. Bill, no thank doubt. you. You bet, Jamie, Guy, and Lloyd. Have a great day. You too. Uh, coming up on JR Morning, we'll have a discussion of what's going on in the world, plus Nolan Finley at 8-19. Stick with us. Oh, sadly, we may not be in it, but there is still a big game two weeks from now. Fontainebleau, Las Vegas is the newest luxury resort and casino on the Strip. And we want to send you there for the big game weekend. You can score a trip for two to Las Vegas, including airfare, two nights stay at Fontainebleau, Las Vegas, 150 bucks credit to spend at one of the 36 restaurants and bars, and two tickets to the Fontainebleau, Las Vegas big game viewing party at Bleu Live Theater. But you need to know this hour's national keyword, and it is Vegas. Text the word Vegas to 95819. That's Vegas to 95819, and you will be registered to win. For full details and official contest rules, visit WJR.com. Let me ask you, I got to tell you, I have right now zero interest in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I'll go uh, yeah. for chips and dip somewhere, but yeah, right. That's it. I'll always put my snout in the buffet, yeah. but <laughs> I won't I'm, double dip. I'm yeah, and I <laughs> promise not to double dip. But that may be my only contribution because other than the food, I'm not. I look. I think that the Chiefs are exciting, yeah. and and there's, there's no question so, oh, they are the new Patriots. They're always but, but they're always there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, looking at it this way, there's going to be some good movies on during the Super Bowl that. You know, because they got to try to compete. So it, it was probably some great movies. Maybe or, Mission Impossible. Oh, something. Which, there's exactly. a bit of irony in that. <laughs> um, maybe Mission Impossible that I haven't seen yet um, yeah. would be <clears throat> something to uh, to get into. Uh, I, by the way, over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump has weighed in. He has officially recognized Pete Hoekstra as the new uh, state party chair here in the state of Michigan. The Caramo folks are going to continue fighting this in court. Folks, when the former president says that it's choosing the other team, it's time to do the right thing. Yeah. Unify the party. Back the heck off. Call it a day. Um, That doesn't mean an end to the grassroots movement. Pete Hoekstra understands the value that you bring. Um, And he has already reached out to Bobby Shostak, Ron Weiser, some of the big deep pockets contributors of the DeVosses haven't been mentioned, but I'm sure they're part of this as well. And have said, folks, we need you to refill this the coffers here so that we can move forward. If Christina Caramo continues to fight it, you know. But she was once supported by the former president. Yes, absolutely. You know. And they're ton they're they're 
comes a time when you are magnanimous yep. and you cut your losses. And you... But she's never done that, whether she was running no, she for hasn't. state office, whether she, she's just not going to do it. She still thinks she's secretary of That's state. That's my point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's not conceded that race yet, so waiting yeah. on that. So we'll, we'll see, but it, it sure would be nice uh, for the state party if she could, I mean, uh, I think Bobby Shostak raised $30 million in a year on behalf of state Republicans. He is a prolific fundraiser. If you can get him back into mm-hmm. the fold, uh, and, you know, and this is, and I think you discussed this on Friday, this idea that Trump has now come out and said to all Nikki Haley supporters, you will be banished if you mm-hmm. continue to no support. Maga. Boy, that's a great, Maga. that's a smart political strategy, isn't it? We're going to kick more people out of the tent if, if you, uh, unless you get loyal right now. Speaking of fundraising, Haley's still fundraising. They said they had their best week Last week. Yeah, after you said that. They have, even though her biggest supporters, the, the the Koch brothers, apparently are now shifting their resources to the U.S. Senate. They're saying, look. Um, they don't see a path. We, we're not quite sure we see a path. We're not abandoning her by yeah. any stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are also making sure that we're going to shore up our defenses on the Senate side. We need to retake one of these houses just so that the Democrats don't have open field running uh, come 2024 post-election. I got to tell you, this was a um, kind of a master class in consumer advocacy. If you watched how the Swifties responded to these deep fakes on social media platforms. Oh, the pictures of uh, Uh, Taylor. The bogus Bogus pictures pictures of of Taylor and all AI-generated photos of Taylor, nude photos of Taylor Swift. Not real. You know, just the pathetic uh, response of these social media platforms to clean up their own messes. And yet uh, Swifties took the matters into their own hands, began bombarding these platforms with terms of service complaints, and finally got them to react. And um, it, wouldn't it be nice if we could all do that? When we see, you know, terrorist recruitment yep. online, when we see um, uh, criminal sexual conduct and human traffickers online that we couldn't, which a lot of that happens on the dark web. If we could harness our ability of, mm-hmm. of consumers. Right. To, well, this For good. Will, will this cause uh, the the uh, Congress to put some fire, some heat up under the social media folks? You know, because it's Taylor and, you know, Taylor may get that, you know, to jump off now because... It was her. She has defenses, right? Yeah. She has She has this cadre of supporters. God love them. They came to her defense. Yeah. yeah, Senator Warner is one of those that's saying, listen, this is a textbook example of what we have been saying at the beginning of this, this AI era. Mm-hmm. Is this, this is exactly what we had feared at its worst. Yeah, we need protections against it. And we shouldn't have to put a gun to the head of the social media platforms to do something about it and yet to some extent i'm sure they'll say we're damned if we do damned if we don't if we do that you're going to complain about censorship and where do we draw the line well perhaps with anti-semitism on holocaust remembrance day how about that yeah um pete Buttigieg, in a stunning um expression of duh uh we know that during the infrastructure uh bill debate uh, there were a lot of people that said well you can throw Billions, if not trillions of dollars at this, Mr. Biden and Mr. Buttigieg, but there aren't enough construction workers to do the work we have now. So you're only going to be driving up the price of all of this 
And until you can create more construction workers, um, you can pass as many infrastructure bills as you want. The work isn't going to get done. Well, what do you know? Pete Buttigieg, we need more workers to build the billion-dollar projects. Um, he's calling on, on on our country to bring focus and to uh, respect those educational tracks uh, that have nothing to do with a college degree. We need talent and skills, and it's great pay as well. Well, no yeah. stuff, Sherlock. This is exactly what we told you, and you then became part of the problem, not part of the solution by yet again throwing more money at it. You created the sh- and exacerbated the shortage. And it's an apprentice. There are several apprenticeship programs, uh, and they are looking for uh, apprentices and looking for laborers, but it's going to take time to replenish so the ones that are, re- right, that are retiring. It's going to take time. We have 3.5% unemployment. Exactly where are these folks going to come from? had a lot of folks retire during the pandemic. It, it, listen, construction's tough work. It is. And, um, and those that retire are not eager to come back. Um, interesting story uh, coming out of the New York Times this morning. Ring has an app called Neighbors mm-hmm. where you can share videos of crimes in your community and tell folks, hey, we want to alert you to this. Well, law enforcement up until now has been able to request those videos to help further investigations. From Ring. From Ring. Okay. Ring is now shutting that down. They are caving to the privacy advocates. And I understand there's some real privacy concerns here. But this was, again, kind of like the Swifties. This was a consumer-based, let's help one another. Mm -hmm. It's like your community watch, only with With leveraging technology, right? And so now Ring, which is Amazon, is basically saying to the civil liberties groups, we're going to side with you and against law enforcement. If law enforcement want these videos... They're going to have to come at it another way. I find that. Get a judge to say. Yeah, yeah. terribly, terribly unfortunate. We'll get you caught up in all the day's headlines next. This is uh, the best locker room I've ever been a part of. And it sucks that it won't be the same. Um, But, uh, yeah, best group I've been a part of. Boy, you can hear the disappointment and and the depression in David Montgomery's voice. Uh, Demo, so much of, of the heart of this team and gutting out so many great runs down the stretch. Um, but saying what everybody knows, this is just a, a tough loss. This was a generationally, historically important moment. It was the zenith of, of generations of Lions fans, and yet it was such a very familiar, sad ending. Yeah, it's just so upsetting. I mean, I thought they were not only going to the Super Bowl, but winning the Super Bowl. I was mm-hmm. texting, you know, my little heart out. Oh, yeah. my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then it just a switch flipped in that second half. And it started with JMO's 42-yard run. I mean, oh. that was such a just a, a gem yeah. of, of a run. What a start. And then they started with a, they, a David Montgomery touchdown right after that. And then the next possession, another touchdown, Jameer Gibbs. It yeah. was like they were on fire. They were just running through 
them like butter. Right. So, and you got to wonder then, what was it that happened at halftime? Did we have a letdown? Did they all of a sudden make an incredible? They certainly shut down our run. They made run. some adjustments. They made some pretty powerful adjustments. Uh, Brock Purdy all of a sudden discovered that he has legs that can <laughs> propel him forward. And at a pretty good clip. Yeah. Uh, for a guy that's not known as being a mobile quarterback. Look, the Niners have been there before, and when they were down 17 points, there was no panic. They just sort of continued on, kind of what the Lions would do when they would get down. And I think maybe the lights were a little too bright, perhaps, for some of the guys. Yeah. I don't know. And then there are decisions we will question from now until eternity, these fourth downs, the yeah. play calls at the end, the usage of the timeout late. But it's actually, it is about execution and not making mistakes. Jameer fumbled the ball. It happened. But the two drops by Josh Reynolds are going to stand out. Who's been Mr. Reliable for Jared Goff. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's upsetting, obviously. I mean, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, though, says they're going to be ready for next year. And I think Dan and and the people, you know, upstairs, the the players in this locker room, um, we've all, you know, we bought in. and it showed all year. Um, you know, we came up short, but I think we have a lot of good players in this you know, on this team. The right coaches, the right everything um, to be back here next year. Um, obviously, it's going to be tough. Probably be tougher, you know, next year than it was this year. Um, but we feel like you know we got the guys. And Dan said that you know what, it's it's tough to get back. Hopefully, they can get back, but there's no guarantee. And can I say, it wasn't just the Lions that had a bad night. Did you hear what Gronkowski was saying at, at halftime? <laughs> oh, man. Talk, talking about the NFL MVP, yeah. the, 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 the new Brady, talking about Patrick Mahomes. With an H. Holmes. With the H. He knows his name. Here's Gronk. <laughs> McHolmes has had. How fortunate we to see a guy like Mahomes. Yes, Patrick McHolmes has had an epic start to his career. There's no doubt about that. He is also. Does he have a hearing? Like problem? Mickey D's? <laughs> McHolmes? That. <laughs> I guess I guess he bought a C. Vanna sold him a C and he didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, that was Ron Gronowski. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, but you can be upset about them blowing that 17 point lead. That's you can be upset, but you have to separate that. And we talked to Bill Keenan earlier, and you can go on WJR.com and hear the full interview. You you can separate that from what they've done to for the city, and the and how they've lifted, you know, the fans and and made people feel good, you know, uh, about. You know, being going as far as they as they did. So they hapless... won one playoff game since 1957 until yeah. this season when they won two in two weeks. Exactly, it was fun. But you didn't write the word lions. Outside sports writers did not write the word lions without hapless or beleaguered. Yeah, right. right? That's right. Well, you can drop those now. Yes. because they've restored legitimacy and credibility to this franchise. That's a huge thing externally to see the respect that this franchise now uh, has drawn upon itself. And, you know, kudos to Brad Holmes. Kudos to Sheila Ford Hamp. She also was a part of changing this culture. We've got a draft coming up. Brad Holmes has shown he's more than capable of drafting good guys who make immediate impacts. There's a lot to look forward to. Jared Goff had a tough second half, but he was about as good as they get for the rest of the playoffs. 
um, and and took apart some great defenses and showed incredible precision running this offense, uh, and even did it in the final minutes of the of the game yesterday, bringing them down to within, you know, mere yards. They had a little trouble punching it in in the red zone, but uh, he uh, he he did execute. Look, he's the guy, and he's going to get paid because he's the guy that led them to the first division title in three decades. A guy that led them to two playoff wins to the NFC Championship game. He had 273 yards, one touchdown yesterday. He was, you know, like fifth or something in the league in passing. He's the guy. Yeah. We've got uh, more just uh, pivoting to the other news of the day. This has been some just damning testimony coming out of Oakland County Circuit Court in the case of uh, the involuntary manslaughter case against Jennifer Crumbly. Yeah, that uh, ongoing uh, trial uh, continues this morning. Prosecutors are painting this picture of a mother who allegedly neglected her son's mental health struggles before the tragic events of her at uh, Oxford High. Both Jennifer and her husband, uh, they face four counts of involuntary manslaughter linked to the shooting back in November of 2021, marking the first instance of parents being charged for their child's mass shooting. Now, despite being on the witness list, the Oxford shooter will not testify at his mother's trial, and his attorneys indicate he'll plead the fifth. Amid uh, legal wrangling over evidence, including text messages, tensions flared in court over what will be admitted regarding the Crumbly's substance abuse use. Meanwhile, scrutiny falls on Jennifer's actions leading up to the shooting, including her response to her son's uh, messages and her handling of the situation on the day of the incident, with testimony revealing a complex web of communication and actions to trial which continues this morning, is expected to last for two to three weeks, with Jennifer slated to take the stand at some time uh, during this case. And her husband, he won't be tried until March of next year. I mean, of this year, of next month, rather. March next month, March 5th, next month. I was stunned by the testimony last week that they had a, you know, and we haven't had definitive determination yet about how Ethan Crumbly got this gun. They claimed that the gun was secured. One place that we know it wasn't secured very well was in the gun safe that they had purchased, which according to testimony last week, the password on it was zero, 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 that they had not programmed a a, a legit password Mm -hmm. into that gun safe. That shows a stunning lack of concern for their son's well-being, much less the well-being of others. This was a child who had been depressed he'd lost his dog and he'd lost out. his best friend he had reached out yeah. they knew that he was not himself and yet they even you know i would have just been as a parent concerned about self-harm mm-hmm. keeping it out of his hands because he was a troubled young man and when they heard the news that this shooting was happening they immediately thought of him immediately thought of the gun right so why did you think of that before? A lot good that did mm-hmm. right. uh, at, at that point. When they were bringing all these uh, pieces of artwork to you, showing how troubled he was, they didn't even bother to check the book bag nor divulge the existence of the gun to school administrators. Uh, we'll await for, for that trial. It should take another uh, couple of weeks to mm-hmm. get through. They've had some uh, witnesses hit by COVID, yep. uh, and, they've, and so we're not quite sure what's going to be happening Today. Meantime, a stunning report uh, that housing for renters now is unaffordable for half of all U.S. renters. Um, 50% of U.S. renters are paying 50% of their income just on housing alone. 25% would be considered the norm or what would be a, uh, an acceptable burden. 
and uh, and that's where we are with so and yet we're making it harder and harder for landlords to get rent to evict tenants that are deadbeats mm-hmm. and to make way for those that are on waiting lists all of it forces up the price of rents and also all of it strangles the the uh, the ability to build more affordable housing and uh, there's going to have to be a reckoning there as well but a stunning and homelessness there. is up yeah yes. all related it is. It, it, it's it's all related, and you think of of how they keep making it harder to get rid of those that are taking up space and not paying their rent, mm-hmm. and good families that are waiting for those rental units can't get in. Um, they claim to be helping the downtrodden. They're leaving the downtrodden without oh, well, homes. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to be tackling. Uh, the, uh, the latest on the presidential race is Trump meddling in a potential border deal. And uh, the Michigan Republican Party has a new chair, according to the former president himself. Nolan Finley will check in with our favorite editorial page editor at the Detroit News next on JR Morning. Let's talk about a great family-owned window company that I've recently gotten the chance to get to know. Clarkson Window and Door. For over 36 years, Clarkson Window and Door has been providing hundreds of thousands of windows and doors to Michigan homes. Their windows are made to order. That means you control the design process from color, style, grids, and hardware. They work with North Star Windows, an American-owned company that designs windows that can stand up to all the harshest winter conditions. They can handle this crazy Michigan weather. Clarkson Window and Doors installers are experts with decades of experience, and they never use subcontractors, so you always know exactly who you're working with. There are never any high-pressure sales tactics. You make your own decisions, and they offer fair and honest pricing. Great financing options are out there, too, and to top it off, the windows come with a lifetime warranty. It's no surprise that Clarkson Window and Door is so highly recommended by WJR's home improvement experts, the Inside Outside Guys. Check out their reviews online. Go see them at their design showroom. When it's time to replace your windows and doors, make sure you call Clarkson Window and Door. Visit ClarksonWindow.com for more information or call 248-338-6781. That's 248-338-6781. Well, while we lick our wounds over the Lions, there was a lot over the weekend to chew on politically and uh, also some action or inaction on the part of uh, our state government when it comes to transparency. Let's check in, as we love to do on Monday mornings, with our good friend Nolan Finley, editorial page editor for the Detroit News. Good morning, Nolan. Good morning, Guy. So we've lost three fine American soldiers in an Iran-backed militia attack at a base in Jordan. Uh, The president is promising swift and decisive retaliation, but this is after 159 attacks on our people. He has retaliated against proxies, but not Iran itself. Is it time for that? Well, we are approaching that, aren't we? I mean, Iran's the problem. If you look at what's going on in in Israel, uh, Iran's the problem there. Uh, uh, In in the Gulf, Iran's the problem. I don't know how much longer you can let Iran disrupt international commerce, uh, kill our troops, bomb our our bases and what have you, and, and, and pretend not to see. And, you know, this, uh, this is sort of typical of the Biden administration's approach to a serious problem. Uh, they ignore it. And 
I don't know what swift and decisive action looks like with this administration. Uh, Nolan, what about this whole idea of primaries and how certain states just have more importance because they go first? And we're talking about maybe this primary being over when only about 100,000 people in each state voted. Right. And and not representative states at all. I mean, those are very small, very homogenous states. Uh, I don't like it. I wrote yesterday that uh, we should start out at the beginning with a multi-state primary, uh, get group eight to 10 states across the nation and let them vote at once. uh, And then go like that every two or three weeks or so uh, until everybody's voted. But allowing these candidates to just camp out and in Iowa and letting a handful of Iowa voters uh, decide things, uh, I, I don't think it's the best way to do to do it. Um, you know, make make these candidates get out and prove they can run a national campaign and and appeal to a diverse set of electorates. Electorate. Uh, Nolan, uh, Pete Hoekstra was voted in as GOP, uh, Michigan GOP chair. The former president has acknowledged that, you know, he has his support. Is it time for Christina Caramo and her folks to uh, give up the ghost and let's unify? Well, that time was a long time ago. I don't think they're going to do anything until a court tells them to do it. Uh, I do think the RNC should act uh, and, and settle this from their end. I don't know why why the RNC is dragging its feet, the Republican National Committee. But, yeah, we've got a primary coming up here in just a few weeks, and the Republicans are in no way prepared to uh, conduct, 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 conduct their count of caucuses, count the vote, and award their delegates. Just two weeks ago, Nolan, it appeared that Senate Republicans in concert with some Senate Democrats had reached a bipartisan border bill that would clear the way for Ukraine and Israel support, as well as toughening up the disaster that has become our nation's southern border. Now, after a Trump win in New Hampshire and Iowa, suddenly this is a a bad bill. The former president saying no bill is better than a bad bill. Do you agree, or is this the former president putting his need for a potent political issue ahead of actual security improvements for the nation? Well, that's exactly what it is, and Republicans should be careful here because Donald Trump is not has, doesn't have a very good track record of electing Republicans, and you know he he knows that this is a terrible issue for Joe Biden, and he's acting. Uh, on the belief that if we keep the issue alive, it'll continue to be a terrible issue for Joe Biden. But if Republicans are portrayed as the obstacle here, uh, it could go very, very badly for them. Well, you kind of lose your credibility to complain about it if you don't at least say incremental progress is better than no progress at all. Well, yeah, I mean, something has to be done at the border. Republicans have been saying that for three years now. Well, Biden has sort of, um, again, ignored the crises. Uh, but this could easily turn against them, I think. You don't want to follow Trump's advice here uh, on this issue. Again, he's all about himself and not about electing Republicans. 
Uh, we had a state rep, Matt Colazar, on when we were out there in Lansing after the state of the state. And I asked him about this homeschool bill. He said there's really nothing on the table yet. It's just a discussion. Caitlin Buss has a very thoughtful opinion piece in the Detroit News about this. Uh, some people don't see what the problem is with at least registering the children, though. Well, I mean, this is uh, a a solution without a problem. I mean, there is no problem with homeschoolers in Michigan. They're doing quite well. Uh, they're, the potential for abuse at home, uh, according to the track record, is a lot less than it is at school. And so I, I don't know what problem they're trying to fix other than the state, once again, trying to intrude on the personal decisions that families make. And I think it's important to put a stop to this right here. Nolan, uh, supposedly the legislature has a newer, tougher transparency standard and that uh, last week was the deadline to get it done. We only have a, a minute here left, but that deadline passed and there's still $2 billion in grants that no one has owned up to originating. What the hell are we going to do about that if they pass a bill and then thumb their nose at it and don't comply? Where's the leadership of the government? She promised to be the most transparent administration the state ever seen, and she loves operating in the dark, and so does the Democratic legislature. I mean, this is a simple thing to do, and and they just don't want to be accountable. Well, we were a half away from the uh, Super Bowl, Nolan, but uh, uh, they didn't do it, but they're not the same old Lions, are they? I don't think so. I think they've given this town a, a big lift. I mean, you can question the decision-making, but that that's the decision-making decision that got them to this point. So yeah. why would we expect them to do anything differently? Uh, you know, sometimes you, you win, sometimes you lose. And and some, and some we, we, we have a lot of experience with the with latter. The <laughs> uh, so we'll have, to, we'll have to use all that experience and harness it to get through the next couple of days. Nolan, have a wonderful week. Thanks for being with us. You too. Thank you. Tom Izzo, next on JR Morning. The Michigan State men's basketball team fell to number 13 Wisconsin on Friday night, 81-66, which means the Wisconsin Badgers completed the sweep of Michigan State this season. As always, we're joined by Tom Izzo, head basketball coach and WJR senior, senior sports analyst, Steve Courtney. Good morning. I don't understand why that was necessary. <laughs> Did he age a little more than the rest of us last told night me watching I shouldn't the Lions? emphasize the senior, so I went the other way. I don't know what the hell's happening here. Um, senior squared. Yeah, you go back to Madison, Wisconsin Friday night, folks, and Magnum T.I. and our Spartans had a chance to make a statement. They had won three in a row going in. The Badgers, number 13 in all the land, began with a 20-8 to run in the first nine and a half minutes. And then there were some other things that uh, took place along the way. Let's talk about it. Coach, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How are you? Everything is well. Um, yeah, we know that uh, Wisconsin, a, a pretty darn good ball club. Uh, they're on their home floor, Tom. And they start with that 20-day run. Then, uh, to add to that, Malik Hall gets his second foul. He sits the first 8-11, and 11, the uh, final 8-11 of that first half. That's not a good uh, formula there. No, we cut the lead, I think, to three, you know, 24-21 or 
something in that area, and then he picks up, uh, you know, another one, and uh, and that hurt us a little bit. But those are all uh, parts of the game, you know. And uh, we didn't play well enough. We didn't play well enough defensively. I thought my guards weren't as good. AJ played really good offensively, and not as good. And they did a hell of a job on Tyson Walker. I mean, uh, they really did. And uh, that wasn't Tyson's fault or our fault. That was. It was a guy who played uh, exceptionally well. Um, I thought we uh, we didn't rebound the ball well either, and that's getting to be a, a issue with us that we're trying to work on. And, uh, again, some of it's size, some of it's uh, maybe not doing our job, but uh, we've got to improve in that area. And, yep, you're right. We got beat by a team who is hot themselves. I mean, they played very well there very experienced and uh guy that hurt us here hurt us there and i had 28 against us and i i I think we're better defensively than to give up that and probably the last thing is they had a couple guys again that hit some shots you know unreal Uh, they had their backup big man who had two threes all big 10 season and he goes two for two so um those things in certain stretches hurt you and give them credit they uh they did it, but uh, we got a lot of basketball left, and that's the way we're looking at it. AJ Store, uh, do you think uh, he's developed uh, more since the first time you guys uh, played Wisconsin? I don't know if he's developed more. Uh, I think uh, we're more aware of him, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, he's played pretty well the rest of the Big Ten season. Um, he's just been a guy that has come on, and uh, and yet, you know, he was freshman of the year or something in the Big East uh, when he was playing for St. John's. It just maybe we didn't hear or see of him as much, but a very good player, but I think we made him a better player, and uh, and he hit some tough shots, but he hit some that I didn't think we covered as well, so uh, a lot of loose balls that we didn't get and things that I think have to be addressed and have been addressed and have to change if we're going to um, keep moving forward we've now won eight out of 11 at eight out of 10 and so we've uh it's not like we're down and under we just uh we have a big game tomorrow and that's uh hopefully starts another streak talk about the uh, rebounding situation coach um obviously in that tilt against the badgers maddie sissoko uh gets a pass he finds out thursday night that his 92-year-old grandmother had passed away in in West Africa, and as you said afterwards, he was he was kind of out of it for all the right reasons. Certainly, thoughts and prayers with him, but tough situation to be in for a young fellow. Well, you know, I mean, it it, it seems like um, you know, like the first thing I said uh, when I found out after the fact, well, how old was she? And said 92, and I, you know, I, God, it's hard to feel bad. You know, we got people dying at 40 and 50, and and I said, boy, if if I could punch that card, I'd punch it right now. But <laughs> what you don't realize is, you know, his culture, um, his mother was very sick early in his life, um, and uh, his grandmother raised him. So it's it's a little different than than maybe some of us. Um, and the other problem he's had, you know, he's lost a, a brother, his father, his grandmother, all in the last year. And uh, when you don't get to go home, to see them or do, uh, you know, funerals are there for a reason. Uh, they're, they're there so you can uh, have other people help you get over the loss. And um, 
he has not been able to do that. And and I, I feel bad that he didn't, uh, again, some of it's cultural, you know, didn't, uh, he didn't tell a teammate, he didn't tell anybody. He found out as we arrived in Madison, and I, I said to my assistant, Doug Wojcik, who kind of coaches him, I said he's uh, he was out of it in the first two minutes, and we took him out, we tried to talk to him. Unfortunately, didn't find out till you know, 20 minutes after the game. But that that still um, doesn't make up for other people that maybe uh, need to do a better job in that area. Coach, uh, just oh. Go ahead there, James. I was just going to say, it, it feels like sometimes you have to pick your poison. If you play Sissoko and Cooper, are you giving up too much on offense, but then you play Carr and Booker, you know, can you survive defensively? Boy, Jamie, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot about you in this uh, – this year we've been together here. And, Isn't uh, this fun? Twice a week. <laughs> well, it's fun for you. It's not fun for me, especially when you're you're right, because I get paid to be right, and you don't get paid to be right. But I get some dollars. Is... <laughs> yeah, but not to coach my team. That's I mean, true. That's, that's right. true. That's coach. right. Yours is to coach Steve, and that's, that's probably just as challenging. Full-time job. <laughs> right there. But I would say that that's a good point you know and I, but but a lot of teams are like that you know there's there's pluses and minuses and and we do have a little bit of that foul trouble hurts us when it's Malik you know and he's been in foul trouble only a couple times but uh, a game changed too when when he got his second and uh, and then uh, the way they were calling it the way it was being played physical as the day was long we just couldn't take the chance and having him in there again and we went down we were only down, I think, four or five, five with four minutes left, and then it exploded to 11 at halftime. So um, that's one of the things we had to deal with. You know, Tom, we discussed uh, a lot of aspects of this uh, game of college basketball. Let me ask you this. Going back to the Malik Hall situation, sitting the last 8-11, is it time for college hoops to go to six fouls? You know, um, I think it's time to uh, – get officials uh maybe uh <laughs> call fewer <laughs> no no I, I don't mean this negatively i just i i I'm, I'm i'm never gonna agree i'm never gonna think officials are bad I, I really don't but but i don't think officials can work seven days a week and uh so that's what i meant i i, I think you know when you go back and you look at it there were there were probably bizarre calls both ways but um they do make a difference when you got to take a guy out, so that would lead to the six fouls. The NBA tried to have that one time give an extra foul, and then it became a meat market in there, and they were concerned about that. So I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, you watch those football games last night. There's the calls are tough, you know, and and yet in basketball, as I've always said, in football it's a penalty. In basketball, it means the players out of the game. And that's the difference between the two sports. You know, you can be penalized 15 yards, 10 yards, or 5 yards, but that same tackle gets to stay in the game, where in basketball sometimes that's not the case. Well, there's nothing like bouncing back against Michigan, and you get to host the Michigan Wolverines on Tuesday night at 9. So here's to hoping you get back on track. Well, I appreciate that. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Michigan's awfully talented. You know, they've had some struggles because of, situations too, Juwan being out and I, I mean they've gone through a lot this year also. And uh 
in their point guard situation. But as far as talented players, they have a very talented team, and uh, their bigs are really good. And so uh, it'll be a, a challenge for us. Um, we're both, uh, I guess, struggling a little more than we either one of us have over uh, the last uh, maybe 10 years. But uh, that should, you know, it's a late-night game, so, boy, you better get some rest. Uh, we don't play till nine o'clock, and uh, but it'll be good. And um, and I'd like to close by saying that I I take my hats off to the Lions. You know, it was unbelievable game. And I, I as a coach, I sat there and listened to. You know, I loved when he went for it on fourth down. I really did. And the reason I loved it, and I, I'm probably there's so many people mad about some of that stuff, but what people have to realize is that's what he did all year. And if right. he wouldn't have converted some of those, he probably wouldn't be in the position he's in to play this mm-hmm. game. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. yet, and we had receivers, a couple of them dropping balls. You know, they they were the right play, the right call. It just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ann Campbell has been, you know, I think one of the great things that has happened to our state because he kind of embodies who Detroit is, who Michigan is, the blue collarness of our of our state and work ethic of uh, the the uh, auto industry and uh, and I think that uh, they've got a lot coming back and uh, so hats off to them and I hope people appreciate and enjoy uh, what they did and and uh, and understand that his ability to go for things um, you know you can't be crazy about it but uh, for the most part that's why. He won the games that he won early in the year that put him in a position right. to be able to do that late in the year, if that makes any sense. 100%. Well, you certainly get the impression he's not going to change anytime soon. Meanwhile, uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow night, beautiful Breslin Center, uh, getting together with the Michigan Basketball Wolverines. Enjoy it here on the Blowtorch because it's going to be streamed on Peacock. So there you go. Coach, all the best. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Steve, you stick around. Let's analyze that Dan Campbell next on JR Morning. We've been talking about the game all morning. We were just talking to Michigan State University coach Tom Izzo about it and Steve Courtney, senior. News. Let's bring him back and talk about the Lions and 49ers yesterday. Steve Arino. Yeah, all right, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Good morning once again, my friends. This conversation brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown. Forward, forward down the field. The W's, well, they were stacking up. Wing Wheelers have won six of eight, huh? My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each and every day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Uh, look, this Lions team... Um, has meant so much, not only to the great city of Detroit, but certainly uh, the state of Michigan, uh, accomplishing things uh, that we had only hoped for. Uh, Going into this season, I think uh, everyone's goal was to see the Lions host a postseason game. They did that. As a matter of fact, they won two playoff games for the first time since 1957. Um, That being said, uh, when you're up 24-7 at the half, and I was, full disclosure, at a pub last night for research purposes of course you were um uh the vibe was unbelievable 
uh, 24-7. You're up at the half. Uh, you're pretty much having your way with the number one seed in the NFC. And um, you're thinking, we're on our way to a Super Bowl. And it was an unbelievable deal. Um, and the one thing that we have seen this Lions team do time and time again, getting away from the SOL mantra, was doing what was necessary to secure the win. Um, sadly, uh, that just wasn't the case last night. No, and, um, you know, everyone's going to debate these fourth down calls that Dan Campbell made forever, probably. But the truth is, like, they made 75% of them when it was fourth and three, and they were 100% on fourth and two. Well, and uh, as we were discussing with Magnum T.I., uh, Dan Campbell, this is what he does. Mm-hmm. This is his M.O. This is part of his fabric. He is not going to change anytime soon. Now, that being said, uh, you convert those field goals, you end up winning this game by three. Mm-hmm. But that's Maybe. all. That, right. Maybe. And I, I, right. I understand that. Yeah. Because you, still, yeah. you still have to make them, and, and, and we don't know for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, again, uh, when he goes for it in those fourth down situations, as he did a gazillion times this year, and he's successful, uh, he's the man. And I think from a head coaching perspective, he's got a lot of faith in this football team. And that is the driving force behind these decisions. Yeah, I think the, like, I think the players have faith in themselves because of him, because he has I, faith in them. You're absolutely right, Lloyd. And, and, and you look, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. It's six of this and half a dozen of the other. And now uh, we'll see because, look, back in 91, you know, watching the Lions go to the NFC Championship game and falling short against Washington, you're thinking, okay, they're a pretty damn good team. You know, we'll be back in a year or two. Mm-hmm. And then 32 years later, uh, <laughs> right. you know. That's the issue. So there are no guarantees. Uh, you know, we know that. And no, but you've got to feel better with Brad Holmes and, oh, sure. and Dan Campbell, right? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know that that, is that parallel really as apt as it might have been? You know what? You're making a valid point, Guy. Um, in, in Brad Holmes, we trust. Uh, he has done some phenomenal things, uh, as has Dan Campbell. But look, getting to this point in the National Football League is hard. And, uh, you know, the thought is that the NFC North will run through Detroit for the next few years. Now, I think Jordan Love and the Packers, uh, they're going through a resurgence. They might have a little something something to say about that. Um, but all you can do is go about your business. That being said, you know, Ben Johnson uh, made quite a name for himself as the Lions offensive coordinator. Jared Goff absolutely loved him. Look, Lions had 182 yards on the ground yesterday. If you knew that going in, chances are better than that. You're saying, oh, my God, we run, we win this thing going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, now Ben Johnson, according to reports, uh, is going to be the guy with the Washington Commanders. And, you know, I've got all the confidence in the world that Dan Campbell and, and, and Brad Holmes will, you know, come up with somebody to uh, keep this offense going. Yeah, you, you hope that they've got whoever they bring in um, the understanding that the, the chemistry that's here and, and who we've got and, and how to best leverage him. That was the thing that was said about Ben Johnson is that he didn't try to remold these guys into something they weren't. Right. He crafted he, plays for ex- the guys he had. Exactly. Yeah. And you hope that this, whoever they bring in has that same kind of mindset. We're going to build a scheme to fit the 
the the the elements that we have right. here. Well, they already have a mode, so I don't think <laughs> whoever they bring in will have to fit be able to fit that. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, folks, uh, a heck of a run. Yeah. You know, the Jared Goff chance breaking out all over Hell's Half Acre and, and uh, you know, people just uh, getting behind uh, this oh. Lions organization. Chanting at the just Red Wings game. It was Saturday, yeah. Saturday yeah. night, my son was at the, the, the Las Vegas Knights game that they won there. He said they started chanting Goff's name. The place went crazy. <laughs> It's, it's, it was a special, special time. It was. And eventually we'll be grateful for the ride, not just what happened last night. Right. Yeah. I think we all found out Jared Goff is a long-term dude. Am I correct? Correct. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. <laughs> senior sports analyst. <laughs> this is senior with the, the senior had a drop mic moment there. There you go. He just dropped the mic, and not just because his hands are arthritic. Um, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to pull together. We're healing our wounds. We're going to be back tomorrow bright and early at 6 to give you the start of your day that you deserve. Till then, All Talk is next.